Welcome back, first time home buyers. I'm Jen, your host and local South Florida realtor. In today's episode, we are discussing step number two in the home buying process getting pre qualified. I have a special guest, Miriam Gilmore, to help us through the initial conversation you should be having with your mortgage broker and what to expect. Miriam is a fun loving mama. She runs her own brokerage and most recently is an author. <laughs> At the end of this episode, you're going to find out how to get a free ebook, Home Buying Tactics, the guide for the self-employed borrower. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you. I am so excited to be here and chat with you today. This is always so much fun. I know, right? Well, you know, you and I were definitely known to chat for hours, right? About real estate, marketing, interest rates, the newest and best loans, personal stuff, <laughs> just about everything. So I'm actually excited that the listeners get a glimpse of our of your knowledge and expertise. So we're going to jump right in. Let's do it. What exactly is your role in helping a home buyer? That my role in helping a home buyer, especially a first time home buyer. And um, let me just make the little side note that I really enjoy helping first time home buyers because they have a lot of questions and um, oftentimes, and not in a bad way, they need a lot of hand holding in a lot of ways. And I, I'm a very nurturing person. So I really enjoy to do that and to kind of like really make sure I'm answering questions and make sure that they are, you know, up to par with all the terms and, you know, like they understand the process. So my role is basically helping them get from, you know, somebody who's window shopping to actually buying a home. And that's in the process of looking at income, looking at credit, uh, you know, asking questions as far as employment, as far as credit questions, deposit, cash that they have on hand uh, to buy. So I look at the entire picture and more than do a pre-qualification, I almost do an, a pre-underwrite before they go shopping so that we know that we're not going to like stumble on anything like as a surprise if, when they put in a contract because okay. their deposit is on the line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you described yourself that way because believe it or not, and this is not like pre-discussed, right? right. Um, when I speak to my first time home buyers or any, any of my buyers, and I recommend them to you, um, I typically like to recommend like two or three mortgage brokers at the same time. Sure. It, it, it covers me and not everybody meshes together with everybody. You, know, you want to you give options. Yeah. But the one way that I describe you when I tell them here, if you want somebody that's going to hold your hands and be caring and nourishing and motherly, then you want to go to Miriam Gilmore. <laughs> oh my God, that's perfect description. <laughs> right? I mean, it came from you and I was saying the same thing. That's funny. All right. So the first point of contact what what are the basic, let's say, top three things that you're going to be discussing first with the home buyer? Like when they're calling you or sending you an email, what should they immediately expect the conversation to start with? So I'm always going to ask, like, you know, what does their credit look like? You know, because that's such an important factor. I'm going to ask, um, you know, do you have like how much money do you have saved? How much down payment do you want to put down? Because um, sometimes you'll talk to somebody and you just off the bat think that they 
you know, that they're going to come in with the least amount. And sometimes they have, you know, um, 20% to put down payment. So that makes a big difference in, a, in, in many scenarios um, when somebody's going to buy a property, especially, and you will know when buying a condo versus buying a single family home, the down payment can be something that's of great importance. So I do yeah. ask as far as, you know, how much cash do they have? Um, you know, what does their credit look like? And then um, obviously uh, employment, but employment typically it's usually not an, an issue unless somebody just went self-employed six months ago. But okay. typically that's that's been not the case as of late. Okay, so then the top three things you're going to discuss is credit, employment, and cash. And cash. How much money <laughs> do you have to be able to actually close on the property? Okay. Sure. So I do know most of the time I do like a little intro with my buyers and you via email, right? So that they have all your contact information and you always see, see me on it, which I'm, I'm glad so that I stay in the loop. So thank you. And I see that super easy link that you send the buyers to click on mm-hmm. the thing is that I've never clicked on that link myself. I know I'm going to be doing that soon with you because <laughs> we're in the works of buying something as well. But what, when they when the buyers or the future home buyers uh, they click on that link, what do they see first? So it's like a really really user friendly link, which is just like um, ver- instead of like looking like this big application, it's almost like it asks you a bunch of questions. That it's just okay. like a couple of different answers. It's not like this whole long, you know, application which is kind of like a turnoff. So this just asks you a question as you go through the process or, you know, like if you work at a, a, you know, if you're employed, what's the name of the company? And then it's like question one by one. And then you're just going and answering that. Um, So that's nice that we have that, that it's in that fashion. But yeah, it's a a very, um, you know, I guess, streamlined process of taking an application. Yeah, I like the way that sounds. At the end, it will ask them to upload, you know, XYZ documentation, subs, W-2s, and they could just upload it right to the portal. And it's a secure portal because, you know, obviously everybody's, you know, freaky about, you know, getting their their identity stolen and things like that. So it's a secure portal. Um, So all that is safe and sound in there. That's awesome. And that was actually going to be one of my follow-up questions that they can just upload directly on there. So I I know that at the beginning, they're going to have some basic forms to send you, right? Like let's Mm -hmm. say their pay stubs or their bank statements, stuff like that. And throughout the process, and we're going to go back to that in a second, but throughout the process, are they going back into that same link to upload more things? Yeah, that's the idea. They can just upload it there. Um, Or, you know, sometimes people feel comfortable emailing and then they do email me documentation. Like they'll send me a random paste up via email. Um, so we can do it either way. They can just add to the portal because once that, once they uh, enter the portal, they do have a username and password. So they can just go back into that portal and just continue to enter documents there. Um, so it's pretty, it's a pretty simple process. And then this, this process is what's going to allow the buyer to get a pre-approval correct? A pre-approval right. letter so that then they can go present an offer on a property. Correct. So it's, and, and like I said before, it's, it's like a, I, I like to call it kind of like a free underwrite, which is not even really a thing, but I, I, you know, I run credit because, you know, a lot, a lot of times if somebody calls like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say a big box bank um, and they, they'll do it over the phone and they basically will just say like, well, how much do you make a year and how much you know, are your how many credit cards do you have? They don't pull credit. They don't do any of that. They just take your information verbally over the phone, and you know that's 
great because you get a pre-approval in a few minutes, but the reality is it's not accurate because they haven't looked at credit. Yeah. They haven't looked at pay stubs. Um, you know, somebody, you know, might they go, oh, I make, you know, they might say they make less. They actually might say like, oh, I make $900 a paycheck. When in reality, it's actually like 1200 minus all these things. And we go off the gross amount versus the net amount. So they might qualify for a little bit more and they're kind of getting undercut because they're not giving, you know, they haven't been reviewed. So yeah. it could go both ways. So I look at all of that. I look at bank statements just to make sure, you know, if somebody's on me, oh, I have 20,000 for closing and I get bank statements and they show, you know, that they have 11. I'm going to say, hey, you mentioned 20. So where's the other 11? And then they'll say, oh, I have it in cash under my mattress. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> So those are all those questions that sometimes if you don't ask the right questions, it's a surprise later down the road. That can be a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and I, and I love that you're so thorough from the beginning because like you said, it saves a lot of time and mm-hmm. future issues. But on the realtor side, it's so beneficial. I mean, we're just now we got an offer accepted for that condo last week. And I think one of the things that helped our offer get accepted is because you had done all these, this preliminary work. And although the other realtor, the seller's realtor did not tell me, he called you directly yes. and you were ready. You were like on the spot, ready with all the information and made him feel confident that we weren't going to have any issues with this transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It makes everybody feel more comfortable if, you know, you, you, you know, a little bit about the, especially the type of financing, like you mentioned, it was a condo. Um, and just because of just the amount of loans that I remember when I first came into mortgage lending and I'm like, I don't like doing condos. <laughs> I just didn't like it. I was, but I've just become, I guess, an expert in the field because there's so many condos in South Florida. Like that's just, and, and it's such a easy entry level purchase because a lot of young people, this is where they're starting out in condos, you know, I mean, all ages, but I would say a lot of young people who, you know, 25 years ago could have bought a single family home because they were in like, you know, I don't know what the prices were, but when I bought it, it was like 115. I'm going to date myself. Don't even say it. I'm not even going to say how much it was. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I did it back then. <laughs> back a long time ago. <laughs> so how so, long does the process take once they click on that link and they submit um, whatever PDFs are necessary, how long, what's the turnaround time for you to get back to them and say, Hey, I feel confident that the lender is going to give you this amount and this is your down payment. And this is what your mortgage payments are going to be. Yeah. Once I have like all the documentation that I've asked for, you know, pay subs, W2s and all that. And I take a look at it. Um, I would say within, you know, if you, if you upload, let's say a lot of people do it all the tonight after I get home from work. So at night they go ahead and they upload all our documentation. The next business day, I'll review everything, full credit and all that. And you know, typically 24 hours, maybe 48 if there's something going on, but typically, you know, 24 hours from when I have all the documentation. That's fast then. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So what type of loans are available for first-time home buyers? I know there's several. Um, and what's the difference? So, so let's say a first-time home buyer will qualify for maybe a VA loan, right? If they're a veteran, they yeah. can do FHA and they can do conventional. Are yeah. there any other programs that they can apply for or loans? There, there are other programs um, that customers can apply for that they're not. Um, so there, there's one particular one called, um, I think it's MDEAT. 
And that's through the county. The county has X amount of dollars per year that they give to help customers, certain customers with um, closing costs. That's not really a loan program as far as like conventional FHA, VA. It's a different type of, it's, it's just like a, a down payment assist or closing cost assist. Have you been doing that lately? I'll be honest with you. I have not done a lot of those lately. Um, it's something, I mean, I was, I was approved for many years. And I, I'm, I'm not even sure that my approval is up to date um, because it was something where, in my opinion, it was um, a bit complex um, in the process, not undoable, but it's just, I'll just say it wasn't my area of expertise. It's, it is something that's available and there's people who do it very well. Um, I'm just not probably one of them. And I have done it before, but there it's just, it's just one more um, step in the process. And it's not even like with a typical like underwriter, like with the lender, it's an underwriter for the County. So basically you have to submit two different files and there's a lot of like, um, you know, steps that have to happen in a certain order for both of those things to happen together at simultaneous. So it's a little bit stressful and it's not really, I'm not really set up uh, efficiently to have that done. And when somebody really needs something like that, I would probably just refer to somebody who actually specializes in that um, versus doing it myself. But that is, you know, an option that people can have. Um, Besides that, as far as loan programs go, you have conventional, FHA and VA. So when it comes to the differences between conventional and FHA, let's just say those two, the difference with a conventional and, a, and an FHA conventional is Fannie Mae and FHA is a government-backed program. Fannie Mae is not government-backed. So basically an FHA loan goes through the steps of government. There's more, it, a lot of people get a little bit turned off with FHA. There's just more, I guess, requirements, but more on the le- on the lending side, not really difficult for the buyer or even for the realtor maybe the only i guess downside as a realtor that i might say is if i'm a listing agent i might say like oh if it's an fha and i come in and let's say the house is 200,000 and i and i got an appraisal and the appraisal came in for 190 that appraisal will stick to the house for 60 uh, for 6 months excuse me yeah but that's only if somebody else buys with a an fha, FHA. loan a lot of realtors don't know that yeah, so I mean, it does stick if you're gonna if, if you're gonna take another contract that's an FHA, an FHA. But if that somebody comes in and says, "No, I'm gonna buy conventional," then it doesn't even make a difference. So that's why I don't think it's a big issue as far as you know, um, for the realtor or even the buyer. More on the lender side because there's more requirements. I have to document more depo- like deposits, every deposit, and that type of thing. So, so what's the biggest plus of FHA? It's the lower down payment. So it's the lower. It's really only. Uh, one and a half percent lower than Fannie Mae. So with mm-hmm. FHA, you can do three and a half percent down versus conventional. It's five percent down. However, conventional does have, if you meet the right bracket, something called a home ready and it's three percent. So mm-hmm. there's that too. But that's, you know, like there's certain criteria that you have to meet, like the median income, the location where the property is, is in, in the county, that type of thing. But there is that out there. So just okay. you know that, but, um, with, with FHA, it's three and a half percent down and, you know, it allows for a, a higher debt to income. So with conventional, you can only owe like the max is 50% and typically they want to see below 50%. So like 49% debt to income with, uh, FHA, you're allowed to go up to 56 debt to income. Mm-hmm. So it allows for a little bit more debt. It allows for somebody with lower credit scores 
to be able to buy. So, I mean, we could do an FHA with 580 credit scores. You could do an FHA with 600 credit scores. With Fannie Mae, it's not going to work with a 600 credit score. What's the minimum? For Fannie Mae? Yeah. So for Fannie Mae, you want to look at a 640 is minimum. Okay. You know, yeah, lower than 640, you're going to, you know, probably direct them to go to an FHA. How great to have options like that. I don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of buyers understand um, the options that are available to them until we start having these type of conversations. Yeah, no, and people are, you know, they're like, oh, I don't, you know, I've, I've had customers are like, I just don't want to do FHA. And I'm like, why wouldn't you? You're in a position where one, you're, you know, the credit's not amazing. You know, you have a lot of debt and it also, you could help people more with FHA as far as like, um, you know, so for, let me just give you an example. So if you're buying a property and you're going FHA and let's say the interest rate's 3%. However, the way, you know, the way that the grid of interest rates work, I can offer you 3% with, at no cost. Like that's the par rate, what we like to call it. There's no cost for that. However, there is also, let's say three and a half percent. And with that three and a half percent, um, interest rate, you might be able to get a credit towards closing of, you know, $4,500. So, you know, you, maybe you were short, you didn't have enough money for your down payment or for your closing costs. If you go with a tidbit of a rate higher, which really at the end of the month, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's really not that much as far as, you know, monthly payment is concerned. It might give you that extra boost that you needed for cash to close. Yeah. Is, is this everything that you review once you have the application and all the documents you're picturing the buyer in all these different scenarios. And then your next call is to tell them this is the best plan for you, or I have plan A, B, and C, which one do you want? Right. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, there's times also that that they're just not ready right now. Like it might be like, listen, you're going to be ready, you know, a year from now, you know, save some money, maybe pay down a little debt and then you'll be ready. And I've had people who call me a year later that then they get ready and they, they're ready to move. Um, or there's some people. Somebody this summer. Yes. We began the conversation. I'll never forget. Fourth of July of the previous year. Uh-huh. So, in Naples, got that great call, was on the phone with them for an hour, hooked them up with you. And, and yeah, they, they did what they needed to do with your yeah. guidance, right? Because I yeah. feel like it was very specific steps that they had to take. to get to actually purchasing something. What are typically the issues when somebody can't buy immediately? Like, is it credit? Is it just stability in in their job? So in in that particular case, I think it was, um, you know, self-employed income. Um, I think maybe they didn't have the two years or the the prior year didn't look strong enough because, you know, with self-employed income, you need two solid years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can, you know, average those two years and it looks healthy and it looks good. So in that case, I think it was that, but th- that's one of the big ones that comes up. Another might be like debt, you know, or credit scores. Somebody might want, have to like, you know, improve their credit score a little bit or pay off some debt so that they can, you know, buy a home. And one of the things, and since we're on this topic about what, what are some of the deterrents, I think one of the biggest things that I, th- that I see on people's credit reports that deter them is car payments. I see people who, you know, make, I don't know, let's say 50, 60, $70,000. And then they have their car payment, which is like four, four or 500 bucks. Plus they might have their kids car payment on their, on their credit too. And they're like, no, but my child pays for it. 
doesn't matter. It's on your credit. So car payments are like, they're just like, you know, like they're an X when you're trying to buy a lot of times. Like if your income's tight, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that's a good uh, little tip to, to know. Yeah. Don't buy a car for your kid, people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say yes. Or, or here's a tip. If you are going to buy a, kid, a car for your kid and they need you to be on the loan, be a co-signer. Don't, don't just finance it in your name by yourself. Be a co-signer. And from day one, let your child pay the car through their own bank statement with their own money. Because oh. I can say, hey, listen, um, is this your, you'll say, no, it's my kid's car. Oh, okay. Has your kid been paying for it for 12 months? Because if you show me proof that he's been paying consistently for 12 months, I don't have to hit that, hit you for that debt. I love it. Okay. So we've had some great serious talk. I'm going to do a quick rapid fire questions for you. Just okay. two or three really fun to break, to break up the, the seriousness. Um, texting or talking? Oh, I like texting. You like texting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like talking to, but I like texting. Uh, your fave time of year. This time of the year. Yeah. This time of the year. Yeah. And we are officially in fall. Yes. Okay. Um, what's for dinner tonight? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> I might have done like I might have put like a monkey wrench in your dinner plans because. <laughs> I actually have chicken defrosting, which it'll never defrost by the time I'm ready. So I need to go to Publix after we have. No. (laughs) I think you should (laughs) breathe. Okay. So back to the real talk. Um, I feel like our conversation might've been leading into this um, PMI. A lot of people don't know what PMI is, especially if home buyer. Um, But it does have a lot to do with your down payment, right? With your loan. Correct. So you want to tell us what PMI is first? Yeah, and that's probably one of the things that I should have mentioned when I was talking about the difference between FHA and conventional. So PMI insurance is basically, it's mortgage insurance, and it's something that is required on some loans. So if you go via FHA, if you take a government loan, an FHA loan, no matter what type of down payment you put, you do have PMI insurance. Basically, PMI insurance doesn't insure you, even though you pay for it. It insures the lender. So if you default they are going to be covered by this mortgage insurance, right? Mm -hmm. If you go uh, Fannie Mae and you put 20% down, then you are not required to have mortgage insurance. So you have some skin in the game. They feel comfortable. So there's no PMI insurance needed. Uh, So that's the difference. Now, if you you buy a Fannie Mae uh, property and you get a Fannie Mae loan with 5% down, you will have to have mortgage insurance. But they, once there's a 20% amount of equity in your home, then you can elect with Fannie Mae to have them remove it, see if they'll remove it for you, which typically they do. Amazing. I love it. Do you want to talk about the loans that we've discussed a lot this year, which is giving a 10% down? And then I always call it a piggyback loan. I don't know if that's the correct terminology or if that's like the old school way of saying it, but Mm -hmm. that's how I know it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a piggyback loan. So basically, that's uh, a way for when you're buying a condo in South Florida, condo financing is different than all everywhere else in the country. So South Florida, just we just got lucky that way. <laughs> it's just different. It's more complicated. So basically, if there is um, a building that does not have adequate reserves. So let me let me actually rephrase that to buy a condo on 
via Fannie Mae, there are certain criteria that needs to be that the that the condominium needs to meet so that Fannie Mae will finance the property. Mm-hmm. So that criteria are a few things. One of them is uh, there, no, there must be reserves. So the building must have a 10% minimum reserve. So that means that basically if there's like a roof that needs to be repaired, there's a 10% of the entire budget for the whole year in reserve. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be in place. There cannot be more than 50% owner to renter ratio. So if it's a building that has a ton of renters living in it, over 50%, they're not going to finance in that building. Another thing is that there's a pending litigation. So if, you know, there was some sort of a, uh, a dispute or a legal issue, an accident in the building and somebody's suing the building, um, depending on what the, 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 I guess, if the, if the litigation has some sort of a dollar amount and there's coverage, then you should be okay. But if it's like a gazillion dollar uh, lawsuit because, you know, the building is suing the builder, then that can get complicated and they might not allow uh, that building to be under Fannie Mae. And also insurance. There has to be adequate insurances. They require uh, a fidelity policy. There's certain criteria that I don't have to get too deep into that. There's certain criteria for insurances that need to be met so that they can... um, be able to qualify. So it's not like one out of the four has to be good or three. It has to be all four of those things have to be in place so that um, you can finance via Fannie Mae. And a lot of times with these buildings in South Florida, they might not have all of this criteria. So when that happens, then the only way around it is by either A, putting a 25% down payment, and then they don't really look as deep into it. Because again, you got skin in the game, like I said before. So they know that you're going to take care of this or whatever, or the, the, the mortgage. Or we do a 25% first, um, excuse me, a 75% first mortgage. And then you could do a second mortgage, um, bringing you up to 90%, mm-hmm. 15%. So those two mortgages, then, you know, you kind of come in with 10% down. Awesome. So from what I'm hearing, you can, we can help somebody buy a house. With as as little as zero, right? Uh, well, yeah. But let's say single family homes, oh. right? Um, with a VA loan, I'm doing one right now. Unfortunately, not with you because they're doing it on their own with somebody else. But uh, the, the my customer is coming in with zero down, yeah. and we got the seller to pay for all his closing costs. Oh wow! So he's he's coming to closing That's with amazing. nothing. He had to put five thousand dollars in escrow, just you know, out of good faith. Um, but he's going to get back, that back the day of closing. Sure. It's wonderful. So anyways, there's ways around things, right? Yeah. If you're buying a single family home with a VA loan, it's 0%. If, and I mean, it doesn't have to be, they can give money if they want to, but that's just the the perks of getting a VA loan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then FHA is as little as 3.5 and then conventional 3.5 to 5. And then it just goes up from there, depending on what loan they want to get and what they want their payments to be, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's okay. people who want to come in with 20% because they don't want mortgage insurance. They want to, you know, have a lower payment or they want to already be like contributing towards their equity. They want to feel like they've already put, you know, some more money down, that type of thing. Exactly. So warning, my child is back in the house. <laughs> for a walk while we were recording. 
Um, so hopefully it doesn't get too noisy and we'll be able to wrap this up. I feel like we've we've given a lot of great information so far. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you can think of that you feel like is part of your first conversation with the first time home buyer? Um, I think, you know, as far as like having everything, you know, I think documented as far as like having everything organized. I know it's, that sounds so basic, but it's not. <laughs> and when you're getting documentation over to the lender, I mean, this is like a really, really elemental type thing. It's like very basic, but getting your documentation in order, having your, you know, having your ducks in a row, because that way it just, it's just going to make it so much easier for you as a buyer to have everything organized, have a folder in your computer. That's, you know, your taxes, bank statements, pay stubs, you know, if you have a 401k, all of those things, you know, um, any legal documents, if you're divorced, copy of your mortgage, you know, your divorce decree, all of that documentation that you don't want to go running around like a mad person looking for these things. closing, Because those are the things, honestly, that hold you up because Mm -hmm. you didn't, you know, I'm missing the third page of the bank statement. I needed everything, not, you know, you missed the third page. So having everything in order and those little things, believe it or not, these little hiccups that you know, a customer law, they're like, I don't have no, I have no idea where my divorce decree is. I, I don't even know, you know, what that is or whatever. They believe it or not, people get confused. So we need it because that's what shows that you're getting child support and, you know, oh, we need proof that you've gotten child support. So there's just like, you know, things that do become a little complex. So as long as your stuff's organized, your paperwork's organized, it just makes it that much smoother. Yeah, it makes sense. And once we're under contract with a property, we are on a timeline. For sure. Everything has a deadline and the financing portion has a deadline. Mm-hmm. And if they're not meeting those deadlines, then they can be out of contract and their escrow deposit can be potentially jeopardy, you know? So yeah. in a nutshell too, it's having a paper trail of everything. So when they tell you, Hey, I make X amount, or I've been working here this amount of time, whatever they tell you, they need to be able to prove it on yeah. paper. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. And even like I've had, you know, like I, I have somebody who I'm working with now and they're taking out, they're going to do an FHA loan. Um, when we did, there's something like when I run credit, nothing comes out. There, there's enough. Let me rephrase that. When you do an FHA loan, there's a different type of search that I don't do. The lenders do. And it's called a CAVRS, C-A-I-V-R-S. And this is basically a search that is done or anything that's done that, that has to do with the government. So if you have anything that you haven't told me about that I don't know, like a loan with the SBA or let's say a student loan, but a student loan would come up on credit. But like an SBA loan, SBA loans won't come up on credit. If you had an SBA loan and you didn't pay for it like 15 years ago and never paid for it and it just, it just went away kind of, one of those things. In this particular customer's case, this is coming up. He's like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, well, I don't know what it is either because I don't have access to it on a search, like on a, on a credit report. This yeah. is a report that the lender gave me. And they're like, this social security number is tied to this debt that has not been taken care of. Huh. So it, it, and he's still searching for it, but it, it oftentimes is an SBA loan that SBA loans, by the way, are super duper easy for banks to give to people. And then people, you know, like back in 08 and all that, people just kind of were like, oh, no, I'm not paying for it. But those loans that have to do with the government, it's like student loans, they never go away. So if you're, you know, like those types of things, you know, that that you have to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Okay. Um, I'm going to go one little step past 
once we actually have a fully executed contract, right? On the realtor side, we've done the inspection period, uh, kind of like what we're doing with our most recent one, right? Mm -hmm. Our inspection period ends on Thursday, um, which I feel like we're 99% going to move forward. Your next step after that, um, which I feel like you're already working on now, right? Mm -hmm. But the next step would be disclosures. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, so what what is that? And yeah, just tell me what is it and what is it for? Where does it go? Can they e-sign things? Do things need to be done in person? How do yeah. you have that? So um, so loan disclosures are basically document, you know, it's a package that's sent to the customer electronically. And on those documents are it has all the legalities, if you may, of the loan and the loan terms. I would say out of all that, it's all important, but like the stuff that I would hyper-focus on is the loan estimate, which tells you what the closing costs are going to be. And those are pretty accurate, by the way. You know, TRID created this thing where lenders cannot be off on the numbers. And this is why, and sometimes you might see me going back and forth with the title company asking for fees because certain fees cannot, there's no tolerance. So let's say if I put $500 on a fee, and then the title company's like, oh, it's seven hundred dollars. I'm like, well, if we, you told me five hundred, it's five hundred. <laughs> you know, like they, there's certain low, you know, numbers that are just not flexible as far as like they call it no tolerance. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. So you'll look at that, and that's going to be pretty precise as far as your closing cost. Um, also, you'll see the loan terms, and that's going to be you know well, well disclosed what the mortgage loan amount is, how many years, twenty, fifteen, thirty. Um, and what the rate is when it's disclosed. Now that rate might not be locked for us to, you know, that's another step that I take with the customer. Um, I typically don't do it initially. We can, it depends on on what the customer, I, I leave that to the customer to decide if they want to A, float the loan or if they want to lock it right away from the beginning. And that's a conversation that you have with them, depending also, I imagine on like the scenario that we're going with at the moment with the interest rate. Like yeah. if you feel the interest rate is going to be, uh, changing right for the better, mm-hmm. then kind of hold off right, and you float yeah. the loan. But if you feel like there's not going to be any change or it's going to yeah. go higher, then you want to be able to lock it in. Yeah, yeah. And then the thing with do- doing that is when we do it really early on, then we kind of like turn on the clock because then there's like if you do a 30 day lock, but you really have a 40 day close, we have to extend that rate for 10 days, and there's a cost to extending a rate. So that's why sometimes I allow for those first few days, not to, unless, you know, we, you know, it's an amazing rate and we should just take it at the moment. Um, But then because we have to go into extensions. Um, So that's why sometimes I I prefer to hold off a little bit, but again, I allow the customer to decide that. Good. Yeah. It's a conversation you, you have and explain it and then they can decide what they prefer to do. And that's separate from whatever comes up in the like closing costs, what you're disclosing to them, right? Telling them, Hey, this is how much you're going to bring to the table. If they have to extend the rate, then that's going to be separate from that That's figure. That's one of those non-tolerant costs because that could, that we have no control of that. Yeah. um, And going back to the loan disclosures, uh, the loan disclosures are sent electronically. And the customer has about three days. There's a three-day period for them to sign them. Uh, so they receive those documents. They sign them electronically. It comes back to me. Once those documents are signed, then it comes back to me and I'm able to order the appraisal. And the appraisal, and it's it's funny because oftentimes I'll get this question from buyers. Do I order the appraisal or do you order the appraisal? So appraisals are not ordered by borrowers. Um, they're ordered by the lender. 
we order it, but we don't really have any contact with the appraiser except for ordering the appraisal. Mm-hmm. Um, after 2006, seven and eight, they don't want mortgage people to talk to. So once that's done, appraisals are ordered. And in the meantime, while we're getting the appraisal, I'm working on getting all the documentations uh, from the customer and sending it to underwriting. And I like to get that done prior to even getting the appraisal because then that's one less step. You know, yeah. basically we're just waiting on the appraisal kind of exactly. deal. And then the appraisal fee is going to be on, on the uh, closing statement, right? Their, their fees, but the appraisal is paid in advance. So when you yeah. order the appraisal, you pay for the appraisal. Yes. So I, and, and actually I had that conversation today. So really the only fees that buyers uh, have out of pocket before closing is one, the inspection fee for when they do their, uh, the walk, you know, the inspection, mm-hmm. uh, that and the appraisal. Besides that, the only other thing that can be is if they're buying a single family home and the lender requires flood insurance, they'll have to pay for the flood insurance before, you know, like right the day before closing or whatever. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, those are the only things that are paid prior to closing. So it would be. Okay. And on our side, if you're buying a condo, then you're going to have to pay the application fee. Right. And a potential move-in fee if it's required or whatever to, or you're a stop. Well, actually, not even yeah. that'll be a paid at closing. Yeah, yeah. So those things. It's, so it's really minimal, honestly, out of pocket. You know, besides the deposit. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at roughly about a thousand dollars. Yeah. That's usually what I tell my buyers. This is going to be your worst case scenario going into a transaction, and I'm not saying that a thousand dollars isn't a lot of money, you know. Yeah. But if something happens where you don't like what you see on the inspection report, right? Mm-hmm. You're down three to five hundred dollars for the inspection report, and if you happen to have already ordered the appraisal, you know, then right. you're down. That. That's it. Yeah. But and, and again, you can always tell me, and you know, if we have time, and I think that you give sufficient time in contracts. If you let me know, like I'm going to do the appraisal on this day, can you hold off on the you know, on, on getting the appraisal? Um, and I can, I don't have to do it that same day. I could say, okay, I'll, I'll wait a couple of days as long as it doesn't affect our, you know, our closing date or whatever, it should be fine. And that way, you know, people, if they want to be cautious and not, you know, spend another 500 bucks on an appraisal, if they're not sure about the property, we can do that. I don't know if you noticed in this last uh, contract that we were able to get executed. Um, nowadays the inspection period, it needs to be fast right? For a seller to accept an offer quickly Mm -hmm. for it to motivate them. So typically back in the days, let's say it would be like a 14 day inspection period Mm -hmm. and that went down to 10 and now seven is a long time. (laughs) Seven is like an eternity for a seller, but seven feels just right for most buyers Uh because they're serious. They get a fully executed contract. They want to hit the ground running. We get the inspection the inspector in like the next day, which by the way, the next episode is going to be all about inspections. So oh, the, okay. that's interesting. stay tuned to that. It's going to be a good one. But yeah, what I did in that last contract is I put on the special addendum that you would order the appraisal on day eight, because we already know our inspection period would end. Okay. Seven day, just so that they have a clear understanding. We're not going to wait two more weeks or anything right. to order it. You know, we're right. we're on a, a nice tight deadline so mm-hmm. that we can that closing date and make everybody happy. Yeah, yeah, and we're all pushing for the same thing. So yes, <laughs> we all want to close ASAP. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, Miriam, I am so grateful and so happy that we were able to do this, especially that it was extremely last minute, but we, we do, we do good like this. We're good under pressure. (laughs) I know for sure. We really are. So, um, I wanted to just talk real quick about the ebook. If you can tell people what it's called and where they can find it. Yes. So it is called tactics for the home buyer. Is that correct? Tactics for the home buyer for the self-employed buyer. Home buying tactics, the guide for the self-employed borrower. I'll help you. <laughs> so I, I made that ebook for self-employed buyers because I feel that self-employed buyers, and a lot of times, you know, you're thinking self-employed like these large operations. I'm talking about the mom and pop business, the small business that, you know, they yeah, they have an accountant, but they probably don't see, you know, talk to them every month. Like if maybe it's like they get together with their accountant maybe every six months, maybe once a year. So this is to answer questions that they, you know, that, that are basic maybe to me, but for them, it's a big deal. And a lot of times I think like self-employed people need something. They almost need to think about it a year before they're ready to buy a house because they have to get everything in order. And if you didn't start the year correctly and you're mid-year, you might not be able to buy until the following year. So I mm-hmm. thought it was a great way to, you know, at least get, get them, you know, familiar with what's going to be needed, what's going to be required so yeah. that it's not foreign when the you know, they think they're going to come see a realtor and then call a mortgage broker and sit with me and put a contract in, in two months. And then I give them the rude awakening that, you know, the taxes aren't done in a way that they're going to be able to qualify or that they, you know, um, they don't pay themselves. I mean, enough money or, you know, they, cause a lot of, you know, the way self-employed people do things is different than, than, yeah. than a traditional W2 employee. Some people well, just very it. informative. I'm excited yeah. for myself. I am, I'm getting it today. And what we're going to do for our amazing listeners is that, uh, whoever we're actually, we're going to do the first five people that, log on and give us a five-star honest review. We are going to give them uh, your ebook for free. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and, and not to put you on the spot, but the beginning of your book, like the title, The Home Buying Tactics, it's perfect because I'm expecting an ebook number two, three, four, five, right? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> this is for the second point, and then we're doing for uh, first-time home buyers, then the VA buyer. Um, and then credit, you know, talk about, you know, and have the conversations. And I, I thought about it because I just want to, you know, have these conversations that I have on a daily basis into something that maybe somebody who just doesn't have the time to have a conversation and just kind of wants to have it in writing. And it's not like, it's like a super easy, digestible, short book, um, where you can in one evening, take a look at it and just have it and you can make notes on it. And it's, it's very simple. Perfect. So tell us where can people find you? So the book is the books the book is on Amazon and on Etsy. So um, I'll provide those links for you. Um, and then I'm on IG. If anybody wants to find me on IG, that's all I do is talk about mortgage and credit and money and all that good stuff. And I'm under Meaty Gilmore. So that's probably the best way to find me. And then of course Facebook and all that. You can find me right there on IG. Everything's there. Can we also tell them that you're on TikTok, please? And my personal favorite TikTok. Come on. Come on. <laughs> awesome. We are. We will link everything in the show notes. Our lovely editor page will take care of that for us because I don't know how to do that. But this was amazing. Thank you so much. And I hope we get to do it again. 
Me too. Thank you so much for having me.